Well, well good, morning. Good, morning. good morning. Good morning. I appreciate this opportunity to speak to you all as men. This is kind of unique. This doesn't always happen on a Sunday morning, but I'm grateful for it. And I'm sure we'll have a good time as we look at the Word of God together. I want to speak to you um, this morning on a subject that as men I think we value, and that is the subject of courage or boldness, specifically as it relates to sharing the gospel with other people. You know, there's many attributes that men of character value, that men of character want to have in their lives, and one of those is definitely being a man of courage or a man of boldness, doing what's right, even when the circumstances might tempt you to do otherwise. So let's, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, we'll read the scripture here and then go to the Lord and ask him to bless our time together. So here's Paul. He's writing 1 Thessalonians. And this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he personally planted. And he's writing to encourage them. They're going through some trouble. They're, they're receiving some persecution because of their faith. And so in the first part of the epistle, he is reminding them of what happened, what God did among them when he was with them. And in the process, he describes how he behaved, how Timothy and how Silas behaved as they ministered with him. And in the process of doing so, he gives a, he teaches us by example uh, how a minister of the gospel should behave, or any, really anyone who is seeking to be effective in telling the good news to others. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Now, as we think about the subject of boldness or courage, as men, our hearts are filled with admiration, usually, when we hear about great feats or things of courage that men are did, that men did such as the storming of the beaches at Normandy or Iwo Jima. We love to hear stories about men who put their lives on the line to defend what they thought was right, to do what they thought was good. And uh, let's be honest, sometimes young men spend a lot of time uh, dreaming about themselves doing such things. I mean, even some of you older men can probably remember as boys how you spent time daydreaming about doing something courageous or bold or in the face of danger. Yet when it comes to the matter of sharing the gospel, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we simply just don't do it because we lack boldness. We're afraid to do it. 
And we may have our reasonings and our excuses, but at the end of the day, if we're honest and we put all of those aside, the reason we don't do it is because fear is the real root of the matter. So how do we deal with that? And as time goes on, the need for courage in our day becomes more and more evident as our traditionally Christian culture disintegrates and with it toleration for Christianity and we assess the situation of the world around us, the words of 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13 might rightly come to mind where Paul says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I read, I, read a Baptist, I read a Baptist missionary, something he wrote a while back, and he said this, This world is not improving. My personal experiences and the statistics of hundreds of others above, this is actually Ben Sinclair, um, should not be written off as extreme or unconnected to churches and, mission, and their missionaries around the world. Persecution, terrorism, and violence are on the rise around the world. And certainly if you pay any attention to the news in this day, what you hear disturbs you, and for good reason. It's becoming increasingly evident that we are living in a day that demands courage if the gospel is to be spread far and wide. And sometimes we struggle. So how can we take courage? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the, again for this time that we could gather together as a man and consider your word. And Lord, I do pray for your spirits filling this morning. Lord, would you empower your, your word? Would you quicken it in our hearts? And would you encourage and teach every one of us here? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As I said, in 1 Thessalonians, the first three chapters especially, Paul is teaching us by example of how a minister of the gospel ought to behave himself. And there's many different aspects of what he talks about that we could draw from. But this morning, I want to draw your attention for your meditation um, to a specific phrase. And that phrase is found in verse 2. Paul's talking about his entrance, how they entered into, the, into Thessalonica and began to minister to the people there to preach the gospel. And he says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God. To speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. You know, if anyone was qualified to teach us about how to take courage in spreading the gospel, it would be Paul. Paul was a courageous man. As you read, read of his, you could call them adventures, I guess, throughout the book of Acts, he went through much for the sake of the gospel. And, you know, it would be a wonderful thing if uh, we could have Paul come in this morning and he could teach you instead of me, because I'm sure he would do a much better job at it. But um, if we could bring Paul in this morning and ask him the question, Paul... What gave you courage to do the things that you did? 
one phrase that he might point to in what he wrote is this phrase right here. We were bold in our God. Now, a while back, I heard a pastor from Ghana speaking on Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 of the phrase where it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And he said this. He made this comment speaking on that verse. All I have to offer the world is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if we could bring Paul in this morning and ask him to teach us how do we have boldness in spreading the gospel and sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel with others, I think he would say something similar. Mm-hmm. I think he would say, all I have to offer you is God. All I have to offer you is God. Not a three-step plan to how to successfully talk yourself into doing something that your flesh just doesn't want to do. All I have to to offer you is God. Now, there's several aspects here about who God is and what he has done in providing the gospel. And if we will meditate on and accept by faith, God can use that in our hearts to help us take courage. So let's look at this phrase here that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. First of all, let us remember that God is God in every situation. Paul says we were bold in our God. Boldness and courage presuppose that there is a situation with some difficulty or danger involved, but what always must be kept in mind is that situations do not change the fact that God is God. You'll you'll notice notice before he he, he, uh, writes the phrase that we're considering, he talks about what happened to them at Philippi. And I'm sure most of you in here are familiar with that story. Mm -hmm. Paul was beginning the second missionary journey. He was going to different churches that he had established before and delivering the decrees Uh, about the decision from the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And after he had finished that, he and his missionary team were seeking where to go next, where to spread the gospel next. And the Bible says they tried to go into Asia and Bithynia, but God didn't let them do that. And so they arrived at Troas, and I'm sure they were, might have been a little confused at that point as far as well, where do I go now if God doesn't want us to go there? And the Bible tells us that Paul had a dream. There was a man from Macedonia that showed up in his dream and said, come over into Macedonia and help us. And the Bible says that Paul and his team assuredly gathered that God had called them to go to that region of the world and get the gospel to those people. So it says that, then it says they immediately endeavored to enter that region and begin that work. And so the first place they stopped at for ministry that the book of Acts tells us about was the city of Philippi, a Roman colony, a prominent city in that area. And at first they had good success. They met a lady named Lydia, a seller of purple, and she was open to the gospel. And then they met this girl that was possessed by a spirit of divination. And eventually Paul cast that demon out of her, but that created a problem. 
That lady was worth a lot of money to the people that used her and abused her that way. And so those men got upset with Paul, and they caught him, and they dragged him, they brought him before the magistrates, they stripped their clothes off of them, beat them, and threw them in prison. Uh, that's probably not what Paul had in mind when he got on that ship to go to Macedonia, but that's what happened. And, you know, the rest of the story, they sang in prison, they thanked God anyway, and the Lord miraculously delivered them and got them out of that situation. But what Paul did next is what many of us might not do, and that is he kept going. He did not quit. He moved on to the next town, and as the record in Acts goes on, it tells us that as his habit was, he entered the synagogue, and he began to preach. Now, Paul knew full well what might happen if he did that. Because he had preached the gospel in synagogues before, the Bible tells us, and that had not always ended well. He had, um, at that point when he arrived in Thessalonica, he knew by experience that preaching the gospel had the potential, and in his case, even the probability of bringing harm to himself. He had already been expelled from a town, he had had to flee from his life, and he had even been stoned by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and angering the Jews. But he did it anyway. Why? He chose to look unto God. The truth about who God is and what he has accomplished in the gospel ought to be a source of boldness for the Christian. We suffer from lack of vision or confidence in the work of the gospel when, we, when what we believe about God and what he has done through Christ is too small. Sometimes, when we look at a situation, we can think of that situation as bigger than God. But God is Lord and Master of every situation, and that is a theme that runs throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. You know, if you read the Bible and you take it for what it says and from the different accounts that it gives, you can have your back against the Red Sea with one of the greatest armies in the world coming after you, and God is still God. That situation has not changed who God is. You can be in the valley facing a giant that everyone else is afraid of, and God is still God. Amen. You can be standing before one of the most powerful rulers of the world that has ever lived and he's threatening to throw you into a fiery furnace and God is still God mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can be thrown into the lion's den because men framed you for doing something that was right and God is still God There can even be someone like Saul of Tarsus running around, persecuting you and throwing you in prison, and God is still God. Every situation we face, God is God. You know, Saul of Tarsus, that's, a, that's an appropriate illustration for our subject today. Uh, sometimes we have people in our lives where we look at them and we say, there is no way 
that person will never accept the gospel. They are too far gone. You know, they hate Christianity. They hate what I stand for. What I believe is right. They are completely the opposite of me. And yet, what does the record tell us? When Jesus showed up to Paul on the road to Damascus, what did he say? Saul, Saul, it is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. Now, Saul of Tarsus did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Mm-hmm. But that did not keep God from going where only God can go and putting his finger into his heart and pricking him and convicting him about the truth. God is on our side in these things. But not only is God God in every situation, but notice that Paul says that he is, he was, we had bold, boldness in our God. God was not just a theoretical uh, fact to them. He wasn't a piece of theology. He was their God. He was the object of their adoration, their trust, their confidence. Paul and company did not just understand facts about God, they claimed it. He was truly their God. You know, we sing a song around here a lot in a family school, Bold as a Lion. All right? Who knows what verse that song is based off? Someone know off the top of your head? Some young person? That's a biblically based song. It's not just nice words that somebody cooked up. Well, since apparently nobody knows, let's go to Proverbs chapter 28. in the survey, so I supposedly know where Proverbs is. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Proverbs 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Oh boy. <laughs> in Proverbs 30, in verse 30, it says, A lion which is the strongest among beasts and turneth not away for him. Nothing that causes a lion to retreat. In other words. The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked man is the one that runs when there's nothing to run from. So why would the writer of Proverbs say the righteous are as bold as a lion? Well, let's ask ourselves this question. What makes a man righteous? <clears throat> Washing of the word. Washing of the word. What makes a man righteous is not what he does himself. Can anybody be righteous because of what he does? No. A man is only righteous when he puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for. So the righteous man that Proverbs is talking about here is not 
is not a man that somehow within himself manages to produce this boldness. He has, he has boldness or courage because of who his trust is in. You know, I was thinking about this verse a few months ago, and uh, you know, it's an interesting description. It says the righteous is as bold as a lion. So I thought, I wonder if I can learn anything about lions that would help me understand this. So I went looking, and uh, I found this book. This is an old book. It's a book about lion hunting. And what's interesting about this book is it's written by the man that first got Theodore Roosevelt, President Theodore Roosevelt, in the lion hunting. In case you didn't know, President Theodore Roosevelt was a big time, big game hunter. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this, this is written by a lion hunter from about 100 years ago now, something like that. And he is, what's interesting about this book is, is the first two chapters, I mean, not the first two, the second and the third chapter, he writes about what is courage and what, you know, does the lion have courage? So it's very interesting. And uh, basically he comes to the conclusion that the lion is a beast that he doesn't necessarily go around looking for a fight, but when it's time to fight, he fights and he doesn't give up. But uh, I want to read something he says about courage. This is how he defines courage. So listen to this. Actually, let me read something first. This will give you a little context of what he said. So he says this. What is courage? I had a Somali camel man, well scarred with tooth and claw of lion. One day, when alone in the bush tending horses at pasture, he saw one of them attacked by a big lion. With no galley to a, gallery to applaud and only a horse hide to salvage, with just a spear in his hand, he went straight in and fought a duel to the death with the lion. Maimed and bleeding, he issued victorious from the combat, leaving the great yellow carcass of his foe beside that of the pony. Did this boy display courage? Listen to what he replies to my wife when she asks him why he fought the lion and whether or not he was afraid of being killed. Yes, he says, I was very frightened, but I was still more frightened of what they would say in my caria if I went back, if I had let the, a lion kill the horse and done nothing. So with that in mind, this is his definition of courage. Courage is the fear of being afraid. <laughs> courage is the fear of being afraid. A brave deed may be deliberate or impulsive. It may be thoughtless or reckless or carefully premeditated. It is often dared from the dread of what a man will think of himself as from alarm at what others may think of it. Does that sound right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that does not, to me, sound like a good definition of courage. Courage is not the fear of being afraid. Courage 
is the decision to fear God even when circumstances may tempt you to do otherwise. Courage is not the fear of being afraid or the fear of what others may think of you or of your own self or what it might do to your own self-image if you behave wrong. Courage is the decision to fear God. Now, another individual in the Bible that had courage was Joshua. And God said this to Joshua, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Courage is the decision not to behave in fear of circumstances. And if anybody had the right, so to speak, to live in fear of circumstances, it would be Joshua and Paul. Because what they faced, the enemies they faced were very real and they were very strong. But courage is the decision to take trust in God who is with you. So going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 3 and 4, Paul tells us something that he reckoned would be true about God in that situation when he walked into Thessalonica. He says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Paul entered that situation knowing that God had authored his mission and had, with that, with that authorship of the mission, he had promised his presence and his enablement. God was their God and they were in the situation they were in because they were obeying God. When he says, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, with that, uh, with that Greek word there, he's indicating the basis that drove their preaching. They were put in trust of the gospel by God. God has promised his presence and power with the advancing of the gospel. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And, uh, you know, it's sad, but sometimes we get in our situations in our lives, circumstances in our lives, and treat God as if he were a myth. We might confess the truths of the Holy Spirit, that he dwells within us, that he's with us, but we respond to the situation as if he wasn't really there. Complete trust in the ability of God to work in the hearts of those to whom the gospel is being proclaimed ought to characterize our relationship with God as we labor with him in spreading the gospel. When God becomes the basis of what is possible in the work 
The possibilities of what can be accomplished in people's lives are as infinite as the ability and power of God. The worst of sinners can be born again by the power of God and transformed. And it's important that we look at people through the lens of that truth. The worst of people can be born again and transformed by the power of God. There is great hope for every man in God. The gospel is the power of God. Yet it is amazing how easy it is to live relating to the Holy Spirit as if he were a myth. When we go to the work depending on our own smoothness of speech or ability to persuade people, we are treating the Holy Spirit like a myth. When we go without depending on him to do his work in people's hearts, we are treating him as if what the Bible says about him was not true. Part of evangelizing by faith in God trusts God to be at work with his word, even in a, if in a given situation one does not see the immediate response that he seeks. We can trust God to be at work in people's hearts. Before his salvation, Paul, the author of this epistle, was the least likely candidate for conversion to Christ. Yet even though on the outside Saul was not showing any positive signs towards accepting the gospel, God was at work in his heart. We already talked about that. In the work of the Great Commission, God is with us, and we ought not approach witnessing to others as if he was not. So with God's command to give the gospel to others comes his enablement, but also we can take courage meditating on the fact that the gospel is what God has entrusted to us. And the gospel is God's answer to man's deepest need. You know, the gospel is not something that should be treated lightly or thought of lightly. Sometimes we become so familiar with it that if we're not careful, we can lose our awe of it. Mm -hmm. But the gospel is not a light thing. Jesus came to rescue men from both their natural lost condition and the devil. In their natural condition, all men without exception stand bound by the power of sin, guilty before God because of their sin, and they face physical death and an eternity of torment in the lake of fire because of their guilt. And men can't rescue themselves from that, though many try. The records in heaven are well kept. The good that man does can never undo the sin that he has committed. In and of himself, man will certainly fall into death and a just wrath of God and the gospel is God's answer to that problem to which man has no solution what Jesus accomplished through the death burial and resurrection and ascension is astounding mm-hmm. it is absolutely amazing The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the fact is, when Jesus was on the cross, it was not because he was there for what he did. He was there because of what you and I did. And he fell into the hands of the living God in our place. By doing so, he won forgiveness of sins. He won won pardon for that record that you and I could not expunge. No man need die and end up in the lake of fire. The problem of guilt and its penalty has been solved in Christ. By his resurrection, Christ reversed the implications of physical death. No longer is death 
the door to eternal destruction. It has become the door to the heavenly presence of Christ, eternal life himself. By his ascension, Christ sent the Spirit who is able to awaken men to the truth about their condition and the lies they have believed. Thus, what we as disciples of Christ have been entrusted with is God's plan to rescue men and reconcile them to himself. God's plan has the power of God behind it and has eternal ramifications. Thus, recognizing what God has purposed to accomplish through the gospel that we bear witness to ought to be a source of boldness to us. We have the answer to the deepest problems of man. You know, as you med- we meditate on that, the words of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 16 come to mind. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and, off- and also to the Greek. Let us not be embarrassed about the name of Jesus or his gospel. And you know, so many times that's the form our fear takes when we decide not to give the gospel to someone that we could. Jesus is the name of Jesus, when it's not a curse word, is not an acceptable a culturally acceptable thing to talk about, necessarily. And, but you know, what's ironic about that is it really should be the other way around. The person who should be ashamed or embarrassed is the person that takes the name of Jesus and just uses it as a curse word. But the person who should be bold and should have no problem using the name of Jesus or talking about what Jesus has done is the person who's tasted and seen that he's good and that his gospel is indeed true and it does liberate the soul that it does free from sin and it is the answer to his deepest problems. There should be no shame in talking about that whatsoever. And then finally... Paul gives us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 one other aspect about God that if we will meditate on and accept by faith can give us boldness as we proclaim the gospel. He says in verse number 4, Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Paul didn't walk into town and seek to please men, which would have been easy for him to do for different reasons. I don't want to get beat up again. You know, I could make some money at this thing if I do it just right. Different things. The emphasis of this verse of what Paul is saying we were, is that we were not preaching the gospel based on selfish motives. Contention, as he mentions, in preaching the gospel would not have well-served personal gain, but instead they were honest. They were not there to deceive men. <clears throat> I 
with their own ideas. Their preaching was out of pure motives, not selfish, nor was it in any way intended to lure people into folly. Behind each of the words Paul uses here, uh, deceit, uncleanness, guile, behind each of these words is the motive of the preacher gaining something from the person that he's preaching to. And you know, we can be involved in Christian service or proclaiming the gospel for selfish reasons. That is certainly a motivation, kind of like what we read from the lion hunter there. You can be involved in ministry and go out and witness to people for your own reputation's sake. You can, uh, you can try to build a successful ministry to make you look good and pad your wallet. You can do ministry for those reasons. But at the end of the day, when you face the situation where all of a sudden preaching the gospel does not um, help your cause, that motivation will fail you. And that motivation does not please God. So basically what Paul is saying here is we did not come for ourselves to gain from you, but we came as those commissioned by God himself. We came for the sake of our Savior, our Master, our Judge. So instead of trying to please people in order to gain something from them for themselves, Paul says, as we went around preaching the gospel, we sought to please God, which trieth our hearts. God is ultimately the one that puts his stamp of approval on your life. It is ultimately God that every single one of us will stand before one day and do an account for what we did with the years and months and weeks and days and hours and seconds that he gave us. And he always rightly discerns our motives. And he is the one, because he is the judge and because of what he's done for us, that we should ultimately seek to please. Uh, in closing here, let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, this is right after John and Peter were brought before the Jewish rulers and they threatened them not to preach the gospel. They had healed the lame man, they had gotten the people's attention, and the religious leaders of the Jews did not appreciate that. And so they threatened them, they told them to stop preaching the gospel. And this is how they responded. <coughs> And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lift up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. 
For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, <clears throat> were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy counsel determined before to be done. Sounds like they believed that God was God. Even in the present situation that was facing them. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. They believed that God was God. And when they were faced with that difficult situation, the same men that had crucified Jesus were threatening them. They didn't just understand the facts about God. They lifted up their voices in faith to him. And they set their eyes on him. And when they had prayed, the face, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. So next time you have an opportunity to declare the gospel to someone in some way and you're tempted to be afraid to do so which we all do if we're all honest we'll all admit I have felt that remember these things God is God He is able to work in that person's life no matter how hard they seem to be or how sinful they seem to be he has promised to be with you and go with you. And if you trust him, he is able to encourage your heart. So, close with some of the words we started with. <clears throat> if Paul was here and he was able to teach us or give us some advice on how we can be bold in spreading the gospel, he would say, all I have to offer you is God. Trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, I do pray that we would take these truths that we have seen from your word to heart. That we can be bold and take courage in you and what you have done. And Lord, I ask that as we go forth and as... You bring opportunities across our path to give the gospel to people that you would recall these truths to mind, Lord, that we would not let such opportunities slip by simply because we're nervous about taking them, but that we would look to you and open our mouths and give witness and praise and testimony of you and what you have done for us so that others may come to know you and in turn give witness and testimony and praise to even more. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.